Welcome back. This is a new year. We follow the academic calendar here at DCC, and so we're starting a new year here at DCC. Just like all the kids jumped back into school, we are jumping into something new as well. And so in the sermon series, as you heard me say, if you were here last week, this fall we're going to go through the book of Galatians. Galatians is the very first book we have in the New Testament. It's the earliest it was written probably around 48, 49 AD, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we go along. You know, we'll talk about all those things. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Where was he? Why did he write it? What's going on? All, because you've heard me say, if you want to understand the scriptures, you've got to understand context. You've got to understand what's going on, and we will get into all those things. But this week, in the book of Galatians, we're just going to do the intro just the very beginning, before Paul ever gets into his actual letter, his actual discussion of what he's saying, we're going to do the introduction, and it's Galatians 1, 1 through 5. So if you got your Bible, flip open to the book of Galatians. It is the first of Paul's short letters, if that means anything to you. The beginning of the New Testament, we've got these four books. We call them the Gospels. They're hit lives of Jesus. Then the Acts, that's the story of the church. Then you've got Paul's large letters. That's Romans, 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, because they're all like you know, 15, 16 chapters long. And after that, you get his small letters. The very first of his small letters is Galatians. So it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. When I was learning to memorize the books of the Bible in order, it's G-E-P-C, and so I learned General Electric power company. When Tim was learning his books of the Bible, G-E-P-C is Gentiles eat pork chops. So that tells you everything you need to know about our various theological perspectives right there. So Galatians, the very first of Paul's short letters. We're going to be going through this fall, Galatians, looking specifically at the gospel. And you've heard me say, or if you've been in churches, you know, the word gospel simply means good news. And it's not a religious term in the Bible. We'll get to all of that. But follow along with me in Galatians. We're going to read the first five verses of chapter one of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and the sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Galatians is a letter from the Apostle Paul, again, written probably 48, 49 AD. Letters in the ancient world, just like letters today, they have a formula. If you had a letter that, you know, it didn't have an envelope or anything, it was just, just a, a handwritten letter, and you wanted to know who it was from, what would you do? Go to the last page, because that's where we say, that's where we sign our letters. We put whoever wrote it at the end. If you wanted to know who it was written to, you'd look on the first page. That's gonna be the very first thing, dear so-and-so. Ancient world's got the exact same thing, except they reverse that order a little bit. The very first thing you say is who it's from, and then you say who it's to, and then you say the magic word, greetings. Don't ask me why, but from 500 BC to 500 AD, when you write a letter, you say, Jeff, to Tim, greetings. 
And we've got letters in the Bible. And if you want to flip back and look, or I'm just going to read it to you, if you flip back to Acts chapter 15, the church in Jerusalem, which is Jewish, the the leaders there are all Jewish, they send a letter to the Gentiles. And so in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 23, he said, it sent them a letter saying, the apostles and elders, your brothers, and so they've tacked a little more on there. It's from the apostles and elders. You can add a little something, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. And then you jump in the letter. If you flip forward a couple in the book of Acts, in Acts 23, Paul gets arrested because it's a, there's a riot going on. And the Roman commander who arrests him doesn't know what to do with him because it's a whole bunch of Jewish guys in the temple having a riot. He has no idea what it's about. So he passes the buck and sends Paul to the governor. And of course, he sends a letter with him. So here's his letter. It's Acts 23, starting in verse 25. He, that's the commander, the centurion, wrote the letters as follows. Claudius Lysias, that's his name, the commander, to his excellency, Governor Felix, Twits to Felix, you know, but you, you add a title in there, his, his most excellent greetings. Boom, this man was seized by the Jews. They're about to kill him. Boom, you're, you're into the letter. That's the way you write an ancient letter. We have hundreds and hundreds of them. This, this is how all of them are. This person to that person greetings. And then off you go. Paul, he takes that formula, and he does this in all of his letters. He takes that formula and he tweaks it. He massages it a little. What you would expect to read from a letter, if Paul was writing this letter, is Paul, an apostle, right? You're going to stick a little something about yourself. To the churches in Galatia, greetings. And then boom, you'd be in verse six. You'd jump into it. He never does that. He always uses the greeting to do something, to share something. In this case, because this whole letter is about defending the gospel, he is going to get on. Again, we, we will get into this over the next couple months. His whole letter is about him arguing with the Galatian Christians about how they're perverting the gospel. They're making the good news not be good news. He starts out telling them what the good news is. It's all in here in these very first couple verses. So notice how Paul tweaks this formula. Paul, an apostle, totally normal, absolutely. It's exactly what you'd expect him to say. But then he keeps going. An apostle, sent not from man nor by a man. The word sent is part of the word apostle. He's making a little word play here. Apostle's not a religious word in their world, nor is gospel. An apostle is somebody who's sent out on a mission. It's a herald. It's a messenger. And gospel is good news. It's it's an announcement you want to make. There are tons of examples throughout ancient world of apostles sent with gospels. I, I think when we went through Romans, I told you about the gospel of Nero Caesar, When the Emperor Claudius dies, messengers, apostles, are sent out with a gospel saying, yes, the old emperor is dead, but there's a new emperor. Everything's going to be fine. That was the good news of Nero becoming Caesar. If you're a history fan and you know the Battle of Marathon, when the Greeks beat the Persians, then apostles were sent out all over Greece with the gospel of the victory at Marathon. The Greeks beat the Persians. You can go back to your house. We're not going to get invaded. Everything's going to be good. This is good news. Paul says, Paul, an apostle. That's a totally normal thing. He's a messenger. He's a man on a mission. He's got a message. He's going to tell them something. And then he messes with the formula. Not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. 
Like he reminds them that his message is not a human message. Now, they know who Paul is and they know he's an apostle because Paul planted all the churches in Galatia. Again, if you want to flip back to the book of Acts, and you don't have to because I'll read it to you. If you go back to Acts chapter 14, if your Bible has little headings over the top of the paragraphs, Acts chapter 14, verse 1, my Bible says, in Iconium. And if you go down to verse 8, it says, in Lystra and Derby. Iconium, Lystra, and Derby are the big cities in the Roman province of Galatia. If you, it's in modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey is like this big oval or rectangle kind of thing. Right smack dab in the middle of Turkey was the Roman province of Galatia. If you've ever been to Turkey, the capital of modern Turkey, uh, uh, Ankara, is in the old Roman province of Galatia. It's right smack dab there in the middle of the country. And those were its big cities. And Paul planted those churches. And he planted them there like a year ago to this letter. He planted them in 47 or 48 AD. And he's writing this letter in 48 or 49. Like he was just there. Somewhere between you know, six and 18 months ago, he was there planting these churches. That's part of why he'll say in verse six, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting. It's like, I was just with you guys. How, how can you have messed this up so soon? I mean, even the Corinthians took like three or four years to really, really mess up a church. These guys have done it in under a year, it appears. Paul, they know who Paul is. They know he's an apostle. They know his message. He planted the churches. They all became Christians through his ministry. But he reminds them when he writes them, very first thing out of his mouth is, hey, Remember, what I told you, we didn't make it up. A bunch of guys in Jerusalem didn't make this up. A bunch of people didn't sit around and think, wow, the world's really a mess, isn't it? What are we going to do about this? Paul says, what I told you, my message, I'm an apostle, I'm a man with a message. My message to you, he says, it was from God. It wasn't for man. He will bring that up over and over and over again, as, you see, as we'll see. Paul says, my message was from God. My gospel, the thing I'm telling you, the thing I told you about it a year ago or 18 months or however long ago it was, it's from God. So what is it? What did Paul tell them? What was this good news, this message? We're going to actually take it out of order because it makes more sense for the way we're talking about it. Look down in verse, uh, end of verse 3 and verse 4. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. That's the first half of the gospel. Paul's good news has two parts to it. And this is the first part, that Jesus gave himself for us. Why? To rescue us from the present evil age. The, the gospel is a rescue message. The gospel is a message that Jesus has given himself for us. Now, he doesn't give us any details. He doesn't go into any theology. I mean, he will. If you are hoping he is going to go deeply into this, fear not. We've got six chapters of Galatians. He is going to go deeply, deeply into this. But here in his intro, before he ever gets into any of his letter, he lays out what he's going to talk about. He lays out what's important. He's reminding them, what was my message? What did I tell you about? When I was there, why are you Christians? What does that mean? He says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. The, the theological term we use for this is atonement. Jesus atones 
for our sins. He, he pays for them. He pays the debt. It's like if you have student loans and, and it's a government grant and now you owe the government that money back plus interest. It's a debt. But if the government at some point says, you know what? We're not taking those loans. They're, they're, they're canceled. They're done. Then your loan is, is gone. You don't owe anything anymore. That's atonement. We had a debt but we don't owe it anymore because Jesus paid it off. As if you had a student loan and somebody came and, and paid it off. And they said, okay, you know, your, your, your debt's done. I mean, they don't care. The government doesn't care who pays it. They get their money back. Your, your debt's done. Jesus atones, Paul says. That's the first half of the gospel. And notice what he says. Jesus gave himself. Right? Again, just like he said, this came from God, my message. We didn't make this up. It's not human. It's divine. It comes from God. He says it again here. Jesus gives himself. Jesus himself said this, if you remember, in one place when he was talking to people in the Gospels. He says, nobody takes my life from me, but I will give it. Jesus gives his life for us. He atones for our sins. He chooses to give himself. It's his decision. He does it to rescue us, Paul says. Again, he doesn't give us any details. We'll talk all about that as we go along. According to the will of our God and Father. So there it is again. Why does Jesus do this? Because God wanted him to. Not because we wanted him to. Not because we knew we were in trouble and we asked him to. It's not like that student loan, right, where I, where I go to someone and say, oh, I can't pay this off. Will you please help me? Jesus does this because it is his desire to do the will of his father. Remember that story at near the end of his life before he's crucified when he's in the garden and he says, I don't want to do this because who wants to get crucified? Who wants to have the sins of the world placed on you? But he says to God, but not what I want, what you want. Not my will, your will. This was God's will and Jesus Scripture says he did it gladly. He did it with joy. That's the first half of the gospel that Jesus gives himself for us. The second half is actually up at the top. Paul lists it first. Look at the beginning. He says he's an apostle. He's not sent by men. He's sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead. That's the second half of the good news. The first half is that Jesus died. He died for us. He died to pay a debt that we owed, the debt of our lives. But the second half of the good news is he doesn't stay dead. God raises him up. The, the theological term for this side, for Jesus, his resurrection, is Christus Victor. And it's Latin for Christ the victor, or, or it, Jesus wins. Because our problem isn't just sin. The problem with us isn't just that things are messed up in our lives. The problem is we're going to die. And death ruins so many things. You ever read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible? Death is one of the things that the writer of Ecclesiastes gets so upset about. I'm going to read you a little bit of what he says. We think it's King Solomon. We're not positive. So the, whoever wrote Ecclesiastes says this in chapter 2. I hated life because the work that's done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. I hated everything I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave it all 
to whoever comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my labor, which I have poured my effort and skill into under the sun. This is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may work with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This is meaningless and a great misfortune. Death undoes everything. Every relationship, every accomplishment, everything. We have a problem of we owe a debt and we have a problem of that we're going to die. And the good news of Jesus is that he has solved both those problems. He has paid our debt. He has atoned for our sins and he has conquered death itself. He has defeated sin you know, you, in our, my, my debt example, right? You, you, got, you got a student loan, you got into all this debt. Somebody comes along and pays it off. Now you're debt free. But you can go into debt again. <laughs> debt can get a hold of you again, and it does for many people. Why can sin never get a hold of us again? I mean, I don't know about you, but I still mess up. I mean, I've been a Christian for decades, and still I guarantee today I will do things that displease God. I guarantee I've already done things that displease God. I will think things, I will say things, I will do things. I will still sin. Why is it sin has no power? Why is it it used to be able to control me, but it can't anymore? Why, even though I sin, why is it I'm, nothing's bad is going to happen to me? That debt is still paid. Because Jesus defeated sin itself. He died and he came back from the dead. The power of sin, Paul says in the book of Romans, is death, and Jesus shattered that. He shattered the power of sin. This is the good news, that Jesus dies, oh, but he does not stay dead. That means our debt is paid, and we will not stay dead. Death doesn't ruin everything for us. It's just a temporary break. Whatever relationships you have with other believers, they will be broken when one of you dies and then they will be restored when we are all resurrected together again. This is Paul's good news. This is his gospel. These are the things that he says matter. And again, notice how many times he reminds the Galatians, this is God, this is God. This is God. This is God. Paul, an apostle, sent not by men, but by God. God who raised Jesus from the dead. We didn't raise Jesus from the dead. <laughs> that was not us. Jesus was not dead, and somebody came along and said, it'd be a good idea if he came back. You know, pass me those electrocardia things. Let's see if we can get him going again. God raised him from the dead. Down in verse 4, Jesus gives himself for us according to the will of the Father. Four different times, Paul says, these good things, the death and the resurrection of Christ, they are not from us. God thought it up, God did it, and now God has announced it. It is not us. It didn't come out of our minds. It didn't come out of our energy. We didn't plan it. We didn't do it. We didn't accomplish it. And we only announce it because God, Paul says, God made us apostles. He sends us out. All of this, Paul says, is from God. And he goes on to tell them, what does it mean for them? Because remember I said, 
Every letter in the ancient world is the same way. Jeff to Tim, greetings. The word greetings actually means rejoice. Literally, it's the word in the language of the Bible to rejoice. When I was doing the classics in college in one of my Greek classes, every day the professor walked in and he said to us, karate, which means rejoice. And we all said back to him, karekasu, you too, you rejoice. Because that's how you greet each other. I sit in my office practicing this in the morning and I hear people coming down the hall. And what does everybody say? Hey, how you doing? How's it going? I'm fine. How are you? Because that's how we greet each other. I mean, that just happens all morning long as people cross each other. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? I'm fine. How are you? This is how you greet each other in this world. Rejoice. Paul never says that. I mean, that would be a good thing to say. I, I think that'd be a great way to start a Christian letter. Rejoice. Greetings. Never says that. This is what he always says. Grace and peace. You go look at the beginning of any letter of Paul. Start in Romans and go all the way through to Philemon, all of them. They all say the same thing, grace and peace. Now, a couple of them add something more, grace, peace, and mercy kind of thing. But they all say grace and peace. I think because this is what the gospel offers us. This good news that Jesus has died and God has raised him from the dead. And it's all God. We didn't think it up. We didn't do it. It's all God. What that means for us, what we get is what Paul says to them, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace. Why do you you say greetings? What everybody else says. Because they have something nobody else has now. They have grace and they have peace. Grace in this world, it means a gift. It means a gift you're not deserved. You know, if you go and visit somebody important, you got to bring them a gift. Right? If you go and visit the governor, you got to bring him a gift. I'm, even today, I'm sure, as presidents and spokesmen and whatever travel around the world, they bring each other gifts. you got to do that. That's not a grace in this world. A grace is if the king gives you something back because you don't deserve it. A grace is something undeserved. It's just a gift. These, these Galatian Christians, now they have grace that they get just undeserved favor from God. Scripture says God loves to give good gifts. They, they get gifts from God because of what Jesus did, not because of what they did. Because Jesus died for them and Jesus came back from the dead. We get grace. We get undeserved gifts and we get peace. And again, you think of those, those two things. Jesus pays our debt. He atones for us. Jesus conquers sin and death. He's Christ the conqueror. You know, we have peace with God. That, that debt we owed him, those things that messed us up, that messed us our, our relationship up with him, they're, they're done, they're, they're over. It, our relationship with God is restored. There's no problem. And do you know what the number one fear in the world is? Okay, now not the number one fear in America because we're weird and that's public speaking. But the number one fear across the planet is death. Every, that, that's what everyone on the planet fears most of all is death. And Paul says, we don't fear that anymore. We have peace. We know exactly what's going to happen. Jesus is the firstborn among the dead, Scripture says, but he is not the last. Jesus has destroyed, he's defeated death. Death can't hang on to you if you are in Christ. It has no power. It's been broken. It's still out there, but it can't keep anyone. Jesus 
knows you and you know him. Paul says to the Galatians, Jesus has died for us. He's come back from the dead for us. And you, grace and peace, you have undeserved gifts because of what Jesus has done. And you have peace. Peace now, peace in this present evil age. Jesus has rescued us, Paul says, from the evil age. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't get beamed out of it when I became a Christian. We're all still in the age. And yet we've been rescued. Again, he doesn't give us any details. That's all gonna come as we go along. But we have been rescued. We have peace. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry what's gonna happen at the end of these things. Paul says Jesus has done all that. This, this is the good news. Jesus dies for us. He comes back from the dead for us. We have grace and we have peace. And so, what do we do with that? Well, I think Paul probably tells us that as well. Because how does Paul end this? Jesus has done this according to the will of God the Father. Verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Like that's the right response. Because we didn't do it, so we can't pat ourselves on the back. And we didn't earn it, so it's not like we gotta go do something else. In fact, that's one of the things he is just going to harp on all throughout this letter, is you got all this for free because of what Jesus did. Why are you trying now to earn it? Why are you earning what you already have? It's like, you know, you get all your birthday presents and then you think, oh, I better go mow the lawn. Because if I don't mow the lawn, I don't get to keep the presents. You have this, Paul will say over and over again, because of what Jesus did. As he reminds them four, four different times, this is all God. God did this, it's not you. Paul will say over and over again to the Galatians, why are you trying to earn something that you already have? that was already given to you freely. The response to what God has done is to whom be glory forever and ever. That we, 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 we thank God, we praise him, we give him glory. We acknowledge the truth of what Paul said. I didn't do this. I'm not a Christian because I'm so smart or I'm so clever or I figured something out or Jesus looked down and said, oh wow, take a look at those. Wow, Dunwoody Community Church, that's amazing. I definitely need to save those guys. We're not Christians because of who we are. We're not saved because of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's because it was God's will. Because God loves us. And he doesn't want to give us up. It was because God didn't want death to have the final word. And so Jesus dies for us, and he comes back to life for us. He atones for us, and he conquers sin and death itself. And our response to that is praise, glory, honor, thanks. We say back to God, yes, this is all true. We didn't do it, you did it. We didn't gain this, you gave it to us. We can't change this. It's not from us. We didn't think this up. This is all from you. So we are going to respond this way. We're going to respond with praise and honor and thanks in communion as we do each week, only we're going to be very specific about it. And then we're going to respond in songs. I asked Tim specifically, pick a couple songs that have the gospel in them. Pick a couple songs where we will sing out to God. We'll sing back to him what Paul has just said. 
that Jesus has died for us and Jesus has come back from the dead for us, that our debt is paid and sin and death have no power over us. They are conquered, they are defeated by the resurrection of Christ. So I'm gonna pray over us. After I pray, I want y'all to get up and go and get the elements. As usual, there's four stations in each of the four corners, and then there's gluten-free right down here to my right if you need that. So we'll just get up, go and get the elements. Don't take them, bring them back to your seat. I'm gonna lead us to take them together, but again, we're gonna do it a little differently. We're gonna be very intentional about doing what Paul says, about giving God glory and honor because of this. So I'll pray when I'm done praying, just go to one of the four corners, get the elements, bring them back, and then I'll lead us. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you did all this. This isn't us. We did have nothing to do with this. You planned this, you did this, and now you have announced this to us. All we do is accept. We accept the gift that you offer, that you have paid for our debt, and that you have shattered death, that sin and death no longer can bind us if we will accept what you have done. Just if we will just say yes. So thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for doing that for us. We don't deserve it. You know that. We didn't earn it, and we're never going to pay you back for it. And you know all of that. You did it because you are loving, and you are kind, and you are generous. Because we are your children, and you want us back. Thank you. We're so, so grateful, Lord. So we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you will be with us as we, we take these elements, as we sing these songs. Lord, I pray for folks who, who are watching on TV or who are here with us now, who, who haven't said yes to you, that, that you would move in them, that, that they would understand. This would make sense. It would make sense that, that you have died for us and you have come back from the dead. Jesus, thank you. We're so, so grateful for your kindness to us. And so we pray these things in your name, Lord because we are your people and you are our God. Amen.